What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Destined to be great, yo. What up, everyone? The next couple of podcasts, we're going to be changing things up slightly. All three of us, myself, Derek, and Steven, will be on and contributing to these next couple podcasts because the topic that we're going to cover is a significant part of each of our lives. And that topic is real estate investing. And it's a big topic, and it's going to take us at least three episodes to get through what we want to cover, which is definitely not everything that uh, that could be covered on the topic. But we want to go to go through it with you. So one thing we'd like from you, the listener, if you're so inclined, is to go to our TLP podcast page and post questions that you have. And hopefully we can address those in the subsequent episodes next week and possibly the following. There are no dumb questions and we appreciate the boldness it takes to do that. Even if you want to ask real specific questions about real estate or potential real estate deals, we'd be happy to weigh in like we do on dental questions. And it could kind of be a fun component of the podcast group to talk about real estate components and deals. I have a specific question, Steve. Hit me. Since when did you start pronouncing subsequent, subsequent? <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so that's our first question. We're going to go ahead and post that live now. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to... <laughs> it's just a, it's a more cultured pronunciation, that's all. Right. <laughs> Refined. Yeah. Right. Like when you say, instead of saying niche, do you say niche? Niche. Niche. Yeah. That's next level. <laughs> Very next level. Okay. So let's kick it off. What is pass- passive income? Because that's really what we're talking about a lot of times when we're talking about real estate investing. So what is passive income and what does it mean? And we know because we've been there, or at least I have, I'll speak for myself, is that as a listener You probably want the secret sauce, right? You want the magic bullet. For some of you, it's just tell me exactly what I need to do, what button I need to push to go from point A, which is seeing 70-year-old crotchety Mr. Goodman with number 30 crown that has fallen off eight times and he's pissed because it won't stay on to his subgingival decayed stump of a tooth to point B, or maybe it's point Z which is sitting on a beach in Mexico with a Modelo in hand or spending the winter on the slopes at Telluride, just watching the money pile up. Yes. Hold on. I got a sound clip for that. Go shawty, it's your birthday. We gonna party like it's your birthday. We gonna sip a party like it's your birthday. And you know we don't get... <laughs> so... I had that cued ready to go just for that moment when I could say watching the money pile up. <laughs> but the real secret about passive income is that there's a real in-between. And that's usually where the plan falls apart. Everyone wants the success, the physique, the passive income, until they see the work it actually takes. And the biggest secret, at least I can give, and I bet you two can agree, as there really is no such thing as passive income, at least in the beginning. You can make good investments, but if there's one thing I can tell you in life that I know for a fact is 100% true, is that to learn the skills, to have the financial ability to act upon, quote, passive income goals, there is nothing, and I repeat, nothing passive about that time. At least there was not for me. And I know this may be a downer for some of you out there, but I believe that telling the truth is the best application of kindness. When you have a business to run, you don't get ahead or at least ahead to the point where it really means something significant by putting 50% of your effort into your business and 50% into learning how to build a 
rental investment portfolio that provides enough income for you to live the way you want to live without having to skimp and scrounge and cut back, etc. You get ahead by putting 100% into your business. The fuel, which is a catalyst for other things in your life, it is likely going to always give you the best ROI for your time. And then coming home, putting in 100% with your family, and then when they all go to bed, putting the remaining 100% effort into learning the craft of investing to get that aspect of your life going. So it's possible, maybe it's just a math issue we have. 50 plus 50 doesn't equal 100%. 100 plus 100 plus 100 equals that you're giving 100%. You know, you pay your bills from 9 to 5. You build your empire from 8 to 1 a.m. When I was practicing, I had a vision of success for myself as it relates to business or a monetary element, so to speak. It didn't mean no work. I love to work. My goal is to never be free of having to put in work or effort in life. I'd go crazy. My goal was freedom. Freedom from working with people I don't want to work with. Freedom from having to get up and go to an office if I don't want to. Freedom from being locked into status games. Freedom from having to say yes to things I don't want to say yes to. And the other part of that vision, which I've mentioned several times on this podcast, other podcasts, was being able to go somewhere warm in the winter with my family. I like to be outside, and and I don't say this to boast, but I do point this out to inspire and let you know it is possible. As I was writing down notes for this podcast, I was sitting next to the pool and hot tub at our house in Florida, block off the beach in January while it was snowing back in St. Louis, where we live. And even though I'm exactly where I wanted to be, even though I had the freedom to take the day off, there's still work involved. You know, I was up at 5.30 to go to the gym. I came back and started reading a book called The Coaching Effect, so I can be a better coach for my clients. I was working on this podcast. I had three coaching calls that day, and I also looked and evaluated some real estate deals. So, quote, passive is relative. And I'd argue that freedom is really what we should be shooting for. Freedom to live life as you choose. And I do feel like real estate is, in my opinion, the best tool to create consistent cash flow to be used to, in turn, create freedom in your life. But you need to be clear as you possibly can when coming up with what a, quote, win looks like for you. Because if you don't know what it is, if it isn't motivating enough for you, you're not going to do it. So that was my big prologue. Derek and Steve, what are your thoughts? You guys agree, you disagree on the thought that passive income, especially in the beginning, is anything but passive. Yeah. So when I think of passive investing, you know, the most passive thing you could do is put your money in some kind of CD or something that's low return. But I don't know that that's necessarily income because you're probably not even going to keep up with inflation. So with this whole thought process on is this when we're talking about creating passive income, how passive is it? I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's really not passive. And especially in the beginning, you know, Justin, you and I talked about front loading the process recently and how that applies to real estate as well. So for me, what it comes down to is always evaluating the ROI on my time and then reevaluating over and over again, where is my time and energy best spent? So as far as real estate and building passive income, I, I picture... Have either of you guys played the game Cash Flow from Robert Kiyosaki? It's been a while, but yeah, I have. I think Justin plays it in real life, though. <laughs> of course. But 
I haven't spent a lot of time playing it, but when I was reading a lot of Robert Kiyosaki's stuff, I played that game online just to kind of try and solidify a lot of the concepts that I was reading. And it was good. I liked it. But on the game board, you start out in the middle circle, which is called the rat race. And then as you make investments and grow, you can advance to the outer circle where essentially you've reached financial independence and then you're on to bigger and better things, better investment opportunities and stuff like that. But essentially, the first step is to grow your income as much as possible. Putting time and energy into your practice, like Justin said, will almost always bring you the greatest return financially. But as you talked about with Freedom, Justin, for those that don't want to be tied to the handpiece forever, you need to figure out other streams of income that will continue to support you. I mean, you probably should do this no matter what so that you know, if you end up in trouble somehow and, and you're not able to produce income with your hands that you have other opportunities. And there's some people that are happy doing dentistry and working in their careers forever. But as you talked about, really what this is about is trying to get to the point of, of freedom with our time. So in order to invest, you have to have money. So for most of us, our practices will be our greatest opportunity. Turning that practice into a well-oiled machine will really provide more income to invest and ultimately will accelerate your success. And in the beginning, as you begin to invest in real estate, it takes a lot of time. It takes time to learn, learn the principles to, you know, kind of put your team together as far as realtor and uh, property manager, possibly a attorney to learn the area or areas that you're interested in investing in, making offers, negotiating, and the list goes on. But again, this is part of front loading the process. And, the, and what this means is that the more time that you put in on the front end, that means that it should be more hands-off and more automated and more passive in the future. Yeah, really good points. And I think it would be good kind of upfront as we talk about real estate to emphasize that point that you made about um, our practices being our best ROI. And I think for 99% of all of us, that is definitely true. And we should be spending our extra time, at least initially, into turning our practices into a cash cow. It's the machine that will fuel our real estate investments or any other investment. I think it, you know, real estate and the idea of passive is is exciting, but I we don't want our, you know, listeners or or dentists out there to neglect their practices, you know, to go to try to find their next property when, you know, they're stepping over a, a dollar to pick up a dime so to speak. I remember my first dip into real estate, I was pretty excited looking around and I found a property that had the right numbers. I got excited and I took off a couple hours of work at the end of a couple days to go meet with the realtor and then again with the repairman with plans to kind of rehab this thing. And then driving home after one of those visits, I really thought, you know, I probably just gave up a few thousand dollars leaving the office to do that. And my time and thoughts, you know, over the last few days, thinking about that could have been improving my practice. Again, definitely not saying that we shouldn't put in the time and energy into building other streams of income. That's what we're all about. But um, you want to do it the right way and to do things in the right order. So, for example, if you put in the work to improve, you know, things that we talk about on this podcast all the other times, diagnosis, case acceptance, marketing, leadership, and training staff. If you invest in those things to what I think is a reachable point of an extra crown or four or five fillings a day, so you know $1,000 a day, that is $200,000 in extra income per year. Whereas the cash flow from a typical rental would be a couple hundred a month or a couple thousand a year. So you know, lots of us want to make money away from dentistry, and I can understand why. Um, it's exciting and passive. It sounds easy. But before we do that, the truth is we need to put in the hard work and make the difficult changes to our practices that will allow us 
to kind of open up the next more fun door. So just, I think that's, I just kind of want to reiterate that for people out there who are still building their practices. I think Justin had a good point too, when he was saying a hundred percent into your practice and then later a hundred percent into real estate investing. So, you know, I was thinking about that when you were talking about that and how, you know, I mean, and it happens to all of us, you know, we have different things on our mind, but if you can learn to kind of compartmentalize your, your time and your energy so that when you're the practice, you are a hundred percent in the practice with every new patient, you are a hundred percent in the moment focusing on how to maximize that exact experience and kind of knowing that, okay, I've set aside time later for real estate or, you know, whatever else it is that you, you want to focus on. But if you can learn to compartmentalize things in your mind, it allows you to be better focused and to get more out of each minute. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think with anything, you've got to learn to focus on what you're working on at hand. You're always going to be more productive if you can set aside this time to focus on this wholeheartedly, blocking everything out, then focus on the next thing wholeheartedly, 100% blocking everything out as opposed to trying to do too many things at once and nothing gets done with excellence. It's a skill. I mean, it for most of us, it doesn't happen overnight and I know I'm still working on it and but you gotta learn to focus on one thing at a time so doesn't mean I'm going to focus on this one thing for the next three months it means from this time to this time every day I'm going to work on this from this time to this time every day I'm focusing on this okay so let's move on to a little bit of the 30,000 foot view for each of us in using real estate, how we use it. And before we get too far in, I feel like I need to say there are many ways to skin the cat when it comes to investing in real estate. We're going to tell our stories, how we use it, what we look for, why we make and have made the decisions and choices we have in our life. We are not coming at this from an we're the end-all, be-all experts in real estate investing. None of us feel that way. We're not saying you should or should not do things like we do them or that we have done or do everything perfect because I guarantee you we do not. I've kind of given my overarching theme or reason for investing in real estate already, but the one thing I will add is this. I knew from very early on after my career that my goal was not to have to, sorry, I worded that wrong. I knew very, I knew from very early on in my career that going to an office until I was sixty year old, sixty years old, was not a goal of mine. You know, if I had to, I would have done it, but I didn't want to have to. That was just my prerogative. After I did a little bit of coaching when I was working with Blatchford early on, I knew I wanted to do more of it. In order to accomplish those goals, I wasn't willing to have to sacrifice the lifestyle. I wanted for myself and my family. So I was faced with a couple of choices. I could work, and this is how I looked at it, to get to the point where I could walk away from dentistry if I wanted to. I could work to accumulate via savings, traditional investments like stocks and bonds, which we're not against. I think we all just, I think we all still feel like they have their place. So I could do that and accumulate until I had a mountain of money and could stop going to the office and draw down on that mountain every month, hoping it lasts until I die. The other option, as I saw it, was to create cash flow, by which every month I had a certain amount coming in. So whether I lived to 60 or 120, there would always be a perpetual stream coming in to cover the life I wanted, plus provide fuel for continual investments. Obviously, I chose the latter, not only because I felt like it was the faster option, but I like real estate. I like the game and the challenge. And for me, at least, I also felt like it was more of the secure option, which I 100% know can be argued. But as of yet, I've never had a property value go to zero. And even if the value does go to zero, 
of one of my properties, as long as I still have a tenant in that property who is paying rent, it really doesn't matter to me unless I'm planning to sell. Derek and Steve, what are your overarching reasons for investing in real estate? What are the motivations and plans for passive income or the passive income you create or have created so far? For me, it's similar. As much as I love it, I don't need to be in the chair at 60 years old. My earliest impression of real estate investing was I was, uh, I remember being, I was just a little kid visiting my grandparents who lived on the Mexican border and they owned, I think, like a dozen homes. And I was just playing out in the front yard and my grandpa was sitting there on the porch and I noticed like a couple people that day would just like walk up and give him a check. And he was just sitting on the porch and he would just grab their check and shake their hand. That was it. And you ever see if he handed something to them (laughs) when he shook their hand, like a little, little baggie or something. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been. All right. Now it's all making sense. (laughs) It's all coming together now. No wonder he was doing so well. I just loved old, old grandpa Chapo. (laughs) (laughs) Chapo. He was so beloved by the people, but yeah. And it just kind of impressed me, you know, just the idea that people would bring him money instead of him making payments each month for his house. And I, I liked the concepts of having people pay you each month. Right. Obviously what I didn't see was him spending pretty much his whole life, you know, buying these homes and building them up and rehabbing them with his own hands and with, you know, with his sons and stuff. But you, you get my point. The idea of having it work for you is something at some point I'd like to get to. And I would rather be earlier than later, even if it would uh, require, you know, selling little bags of something else. (laughs) But, you know, now looking at it, I like real estate because it provides a, a pretty stable return. Uh, with potentially a large upside for value growth. I mean, how many people, how many of us have heard something like, oh, I just wish I would have bought, you know, property or real estate around here 10 or 15 years ago. I don't bet on appreciation, but I understand that values usually go up and not down. And I like how it can provide monthly cash flow as opposed to, you know, you choosing to take some of your stock, you know, portfolio out at some point, real estate has, you know, a monthly income, a monthly flow. It has extra actual returns compared to other investments as well, because you get to depreciate the value of the house over a number of years. So, you know, that increases the percentage that's often not measured and gets you a couple thousand extra a year. And then there's also kind of an entrepreneurial component of it. So, you're not just writing a check for an investment or putting X amount of dollars into some fund. You're out there finding deals, you're negotiating offers, you're planning, you're networking, networking with people. All the most successful real estate investors I know are really astute businessmen. And that's appealing. And you're on the list. Just, no, <laughs> but basically, the harder you work, and the better decisions you make, the better you return. So a lot of it is based off your own performance. One thing I like that you said is that you do not bet on appreciation. And this is definitely getting ahead of ourselves, but I don't either. I never have. To me, that's more speculation. If something isn't a good deal or have or doesn't have good value right now, I'm not interested. I'm not going to buy something just because someone's like, oh, this is the not next hot zone. This is where expansion is heading in this city or whatever. So now I also don't want to buy something that may look like a good deal right now, but it's in an area that is rapidly going downhill. So I think you have to take it all into account. But I look at appreciation as icing on the cake. I hope it happens. But that's not why I'm purchasing. And if the numbers do not work without speculating on appreciation, I don't buy it. Yeah, good tip. So for me, I guess reasons or you know things that I that I really like about real estate and what kind of drew me into it. I've really I've really enjoyed Robert Kiyosaki's books uh, when I was getting into passive income, and that led me to more books and podcasts on real estate. 
in general, I feel like I feel like real estate has a few advantages, which has ultimately led me to having the bulk of my investments in real estate. So I kind of, really kind of there's three main things. The first is that real estate has multiple payouts. You guys have already touched on this, but you can increase your net worth in three ways with real estate. And one is cash flow each month that, uh, you know, the actual passive income that you're making each month. The second is, so you can really increase your net worth in three different ways with real estate. And maybe there's a fourth that Steve kind of touched on, but uh, first is with cash flow each month, increasing the amount of money in your pocket, in your bank account. Then with equity, which you're going to grow each month that the mortgage is paid. And then also what you talked about is as far as your, your property appreciating in value. I also don't go into things planning on appreciation, but it's a nice bonus when that happens. And I think the fourth that I just thought of as, as Steve was talking has to do with uh, depreciation as far as tax ad- advantages that will save you some money there. So that's the first thing that I like about real estate is that it has multiple payouts. The second thing that I really like about real estate is that, that rents are more steady than property values. Justin touched on this. Justin, when you said that even if your property value goes to zero, if you have tenants that are still paying rent, then what does, yeah, exactly. What does the property value mean? So it means that I have uh, multiple options with real estate. If you actually look at a graph, you can look at a graph of the change of property values and compare them side by side with rent values over the last 10 to 20 years you will see a gradual steady increase of rent over time. But when you look at property values, you'll see you'll see kind of the same general increase, but you're going to see a lot more fluctuation. So when I say that this means that I have options, what I mean is this. If I've been in real est- investing in real estate and I'm getting good returns, uh, let's theoretically say that the market drops. So I'd potentially lose... Uh, some equity or some value in the properties that I own. If that's the case, historically, it doesn't affect rent that much. It's pretty much going to stay the same. So in that case, I will likely be looking at holding my properties and you know continue to cash flow and possibly investing more in properties now that the value has has dropped. On the other hand, if property values go up and the ROI isn't as high for me because again, the rents have remained more steady, then I probably won't be as won't be buying as as many properties at that point. I might choose to to sell a property or two because now it's at a higher value. Or I might choose to put some of my cash flow or some of my money into paying off some of those homes and then increasing my cash flow. So again, point number two is that you're, yes, you're going to see fluctuations in property values, but rents are relatively steady. And so that gives you options with where to put your money over time. And the third thing, the last thing that I really like about real estate is that it has an opportunity for negotiation. When you put your money in the stock market, you just buy it, whatever the price is at the time. There's, there's, there's no negotiation. With real estate, this is an opportunity by putting in the time and knowing your market well, you can recognize great deals when you see them and find ways to be more competitive over other buyers, ultimately allowing you to get properties at at a discounted rate. There's uh, you know, a lot of real estate that I've books that I've read have talked about over and over that you make your money going into a deal, meaning that if you can recognize the deal and get it at at a discount, that's going to help you to cash flow better and uh, have more equity in the property, setting you setting you up for success more in the future. Yeah, what if you could negotiate stock price? I'll call Bezos and be like, "Dude, I'm going to buy four shares of Amazon today. I will give you sixteen hundred dollars each cash <laughs> instead of eighteen <laughs> hundred." You're like. He's like, I just made like a billion times that since you called me. Yeah. So now that we've 
kind of set the stage of why we have chosen real estate. I wanted to give listeners a snapshot of where we're currently at in our lives in regards to our portfolios or investment plan. And then we'll continue to get into more of the nitty gritty of what we look for in properties and why and how to get started and how would we get started if we were just starting today. A lot of startings in that sentence. (laughs) But bottom line, this isn't theory for us. Just like all things on this podcast that we share, we put our money where our mouth is. And we don't expect our listeners or our clients to be our guinea pigs. We actually live out every single thing we preach on this podcast in our daily lives. So let's just start at the beginning. Because as with most things in life, half the battle is just getting started. The first property you purchase will be the hardest, most likely. So, gentlemen, what was your first property? Was it hard to pull the trigger? Why did you choose it? Stephen, let's start with you. So I started to share a little bit before about my first exploration into real estate when I was looking into a a rehab project, but then I kind of decided my time was better spent elsewhere. So I kind of backed off. I returned to it a few months later and I actually decided to buy an investor's package from a connection of one of your real estate contacts, Justin. And basically, I bought a package of four single-family homes with tenants already in them renting. Classic Steve. Most <laughs> people are like, yeah, maybe I'll buy a property. So he's like, I'll take all of them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sir, would you like to pay extra on your school loans? No, just go ahead and pay it off. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, there's pros and cons. You know, I... You know, I probably, if I was looking at individual ones and negotiating, I could have probably got, you know, a little better purchase price. But, you know, each one of those was just over about 100K. So I think the total cost was like 420 or 425. I put 25% down and then just, you know, leveraged the rest. Basically, the goal was for these to be turnkey and as hands off as possible. And so I was okay paying, you know, market value for them. Um, again, kind of prioritizing my time where I think is most most profitable. And, you know, what was the hardest part about it? You know, it was a good learning experience. You know, there's tons of like forms and, and things to sign and documents and establishing an LLC and like setting up insurance relationships. And so there was a lot of kind of busy work that I think is important to at least learn how to get into. But the hardest part for me was really learning to trust other people to do this for me. You know, I had to really trust the property manager when she was, you know, looking over these properties and the repair man that was going to go over and and, fi- and kind of fix them up. And me. <laughs> yeah, right. And, the, you know, the people on the other end of the table. So there was definitely a lot of kind of trust and a lot of communication where I had to speak with people and, and kind of make sure that we're on the same page. It turned out really well. And I think, um, since that, that's how I've purchased, um, most of my homes so far is in that way. And I don't think everyone needs to do it this way. You know, you'll probably get better nuts and bolts, you know, know how from it. If you, you know, go through one house and you're walking through it yourself and kind of learning from the ground up, but this is kind of what I did and, and it worked, it worked well for me, but Derek, what about you? You probably are master negotiator for all of your deals. I'm sure. Can I say one thing real quick before we jump into Derek's story? You had mentioned, um, LLC, which is uncanny. Usually when people ask about investing in real estate, I think that's 90% of the time. That's the first question I get. Do you have to set mm-hmm. up an LLC? Yeah. Just like uh, buying the practice. I don't have my staff personnel manual ready yet. I can't buy this practice. <laughs> right. And, right. <laughs> you know, it, those are things I get it. I get those concerns in the beginning, but from someone, I think that's where a mentor or somebody can really help because you get bogged down on those details when, I mean, that's such, and I was the same way. I understand, but yeah. 
those are such small pieces of the puzzle. LLC will take you 15 minutes to set up. Not a big deal. And if you don't have one set up for your first properties, it doesn't matter. I didn't have one for like the first 20 properties. Same thing with my office manual. I didn't have an office manual for like five or 10 years. So you still survive. <laughs> Not saying everybody do it like that, but you got to focus on what's most important. So yeah, yeah. Getting the meat at, meat of it, kind of understanding it, the heart of it. Yeah. Yep. So let's hear from master negotiator, Derek. Let's hear about your first foray in subsequent purchases. I had some things I wanted to comment on what Steve said too. Derek probably had his hygienist build him a house. Blindfolded. That's probably what he did. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to point out that Steve said, Steve said, I was okay paying market value for them because I realized that that allowed me to spend more more of my time and focus on the practice. And again, so kind of going back to what Justin said, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. So I think that's a, a good point that Steve made that is that, uh, I mean, ultimately, if, if Steve can maximize his practice and he can make more money and he, he's okay with putting a little bit more time and energy into his practice and not interested in negotiating and getting the best deals in real estate. I think that's, I think that approach is fine too. You know, the, the fact that you're, you're still investing and you're making progress. I think that that's a, that's a fine method to be used. So I don't want, like Justin said, just because, you know, we're kind of sharing some of our strategies, it it doesn't mean that everyone should, should do it that way. No. And, and sorry, you got more to add to Steve's before you go on. I got one more point. Okay, go to your point first. The other thing that I was going to say is that Steve's talking about having to put a lot of trust in property managers and, you know, setting up your team and stuff like that and which is all very true, but there's definitely ways that you can you can vet them and uh homework and research that you need to put into things putting your team in place. So, we'll we'll talk about some of those things, but I just kind of wanted to share a little insight there. Yeah. And the one thing I was going to add to Steve saying he's paid market value, like, I don't think, you know, you got like the cheapest deals on the market, but I, at least the properties you bought in St. Louis around me, you know, I think most, I definitely don't think you paid up or as high as you could to still call it market value. I still think you got most of yours below that point and which I always prefer to do. And especially now, if you guys have looked lately to where the area that we invest in, I mean, there's no way we're even finding deals or not saying no way, but it's much, much harder to even find the deals we were finding last year, which I thought were tough to get at that time. So, yeah. Yeah. And I I don't want to make it sound like I was paying over, you know, real estate, you make, you make your money when you buy, you know, not when you sell. I was just saying, I was just maximizing my time buying him as a group, not, you know, going back and forth just to expedite the process. But yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, um, and I think it was a great deal. And I like to do them this way. I really do. I think Derek has kind of done a different thing in Lufkin. Would you say? Yeah. Good talk. <laughs> Is it my turn to now share my experience? <laughs> yeah, Derek. Now you can tell us. Okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Time to wrap up. We'll uh, <laughs> make sure you email us. <laughs> Justin, Steve, or Derek. Yeah. So when I get, when I got started, I had always had a little bit of an interest in real estate. And then I really, you know, a few months before I decided, okay, it's, it's time. I had, I had paid off student loans and I knew that I was going to have a decent amount of cash and I was ready to start investing. So I started reading more books and everything. And we'll get into that a little bit. But uh, so my first property is a house that is actually only about eight blocks away from where I live. I had been really studying the two zip codes in my area. And uh, then I kind of fur- further narrowed it down to some neighborhoods that I liked I probably looked at a couple hundred houses online and then probably 15 or 20 in person with my realtor. And then I put offers on five to 10 or or something like that, but I I didn't get any, any under contract at that point. And then I saw this house, I saw a house listed for 99,000 and I immediately knew that 
it was underpriced and it could have easily gone for for 110. So I made a I made a quick offer at 95,000 after looking at the property and uh, got it under contract pretty quickly. I put I put about 15,000 into it with some updates and cleaning up. It's it's now easily worth you know, 130 plus and uh, it rents for 1300. So overall, it turned out to be a, a pretty good experience for me. Like we're talking about front loading the process, you know, it took me it took me, you know, several offers, putting offers, looking at houses and doing a lot of that, but because I've did that and, you know, have done that more since then, I feel a lot more comfortable making offers and working through some things sight unseen a, a little bit more than I ever would have if I wouldn't have gone through those steps in the first place. So for me, I went at it from day one, uh, wanting this process to be as passive as possible. I knew that if this was going to be the bulk of my investing portfolio, that I didn't want to be the one managing the properties. I didn't want to be heavily involved with the remodeling. So, and and with that being my first one, I learned some some lessons about communication as far as working with my property manager and having them facilitate and uh, oversee the remodel. So it was a uh, it was a good process to go through for for the first one and uh, has kind of helped to get the ball rolling. Like Justin start, said, you just got to, at some point, you just got to get, get started. I was hoping to hear the story of like when you went out for like your first property and you like fell in the yard and like a giant fire ant hill. You remember that? And you like almost died or something <laughs> looking at a real estate property. No, it was, uh, <laughs> it was chiggers. Oh, chiggers. I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I went and and looked at gosh. <laughs> yeah, I I went and looked at uh it was it was a couple duplexes. They were next to each other and I I went the grass was kind of wet, which I've learned since then is prime time for chiggers. I came back the next There's day one thing I've I learned had... in real estate <laughs> Watch never go look at a house when the ground is wet. <laughs> but I had like 15 bites on each leg and for anybody that's had chiggers they just itch like crazy and it takes it seems like it takes forever for them to go away but no sorry sorry steve that was a different story (laughs) (laughs) i think i'll get to your question about asking me but i was going to say in regards to what you were just talking about i think front loading the process again applies here just like it does in most areas in life you had mentioned you know, going to look at seven, eight properties or was it 10 or 15 properties? And I used to do the same thing. You know, when I started, I would spend the day on my day off and I'd ride around with my agent or my manager and we'd go look at every single house. Now I haven't looked at probably like the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 houses. Like I've never even seen them in person because I worked with my property manager who you guys use as well now. You know, I told her exactly what I'm looking for, things I don't want to see in a house, things I'd like to see, and just taught her, you know, not that I had to teach her everything. She knew a fair amount already, but just kind of teaching her the way I like things or look at things. So, and now I send her the property address. She goes and looks at it for me. Yes, this is a good one. No, it's not a good one. Yes, this is a good one. But so front loading the process, again, makes you time up on the back end. So, yeah. Great example. Um, so my first deal. What was your first one? Let's hear it. Yeah. So my actual first property that I purchased was in dental school. I took out my loan money. I didn't spend it. I saved it for a down payment. I bought a little house for $57,000. I rehabbed it, which meant I'd go to school. I'd drive over each day and work on this house for several hours each night. It's about 45 minutes each way. And then I drive back and study and it was groundhog day for about three to four months. It was really stupid. <laughs> Wouldn't do it again. <laughs> At the end of the day, I sold it though. And I broke even. <laughs> so I got all my costs back and all my time was essentially for free. <laughs> and some would obviously and understandably call that a waste of time. And at the time, I'm sure there were times that I would have called it a waste of time, but that deal gave me confidence. It broke the ice for me. 
it built trust in myself, you know, because I had several guys in dental school that, you know, we would say, oh, we're going to invest in real estate or I'm going to do it now or I'm going to do it later, whatever. But it built trust in myself and it proved to myself that I will do what I say I'm going to do. I said I was going to do it and I did it. And I wasn't just a talker. And I showed myself I could follow it through to completion, even though it sucked, even though I hated it at certain days. I think what's really cool about your experience here, I've heard so many stories like this, but it's it's so different from most of the people I've listened to. Usually, usually what they say is, oh, yeah, I well, I tried real estate. I bought a house. Uh, I tried to flip it and I didn't even make any money on it. So now I just stick to stock market or, you know, wh- whatever. And that story of that person is the exact same as, as as what you went through as far as if you look strictly at the numbers and time spent on it and, and stuff like that. But the way that you look at it is is very different. And I think this is this is a great teaching moment for anyone that feels like they may have not performed as high as they want to in any specific area. We all have those experiences and it's, it's not about never failing. It's about learning and adapting from those experiences. And uh, I think this is a great example. You know, think, think of, of how much you would have missed out on if you would have just quit after that first one. Yeah. It just reminds me of what you said at the very beginning, Justin, you know, there's point A where you're just like, you know, in the trenches and there's point Z where you're on the beach. No one really sees the in-between or the point A, you know, people on Dentaltown may know Justin Short that's, you know, has 50, 60 properties and doesn't have to work as a dentist anymore. And they think, oh, wow, that's awesome. I wish I want to do that. But they probably don't know that you were, you know, working on a house in dental school with your own two hands to start out and you sold it, you know, without making money. They, they don't see the first part. They don't see the work. They just see the end result. And so it should give people hope to kind of understand and see the bigger full picture. Thanks. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I got some teasing at, from buddies in dental school, not, you know, mean or malicious, but, oh, do you think that was worth good use of your time? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Ha, ha. <laughs> and I get it. But now I call them up on a weekly basis and be like, hey, how's it going to the office every day? <laughs> no, I'm joking. I don't do that. <laughs> but seriously, I do. <laughs> so, but yeah, didn't quit, thankfully. And honestly, as far as first deals go, I usually don't really count that one. My first legit deal was a duplex in the town I live in. I was new into practice. I was spending a lot of time learning my market. And I had seen a trend, which you do if you put in the time. And that trend that I saw at that time was duplexes were selling for more if they were rented out. Turnkey for the next investor. So this duplex came up for sale. It wasn't rented. It wasn't in bad shape needed a good cleaning. And I knew if I could clean it, rent it, I could sell it for more. And luckily it worked out that way. I purchased it. I can't remember. I purchased it for either 175,000 or 185,000. I don't recall. I spent a weekend cleaning it up uh, by myself. I put it on Craigslist to rent. I found a scrubby lease online to use. You know, I, and I rented that thing out at eight hundred a side and sold it for two hundred twenty-five thousand four or five months later. I sold it pretty much because I didn't have any other money at the time, you know. So I could have just left the money in that property and not be able to purchase anything else until I saved up off my associate funds about seventy-five bucks a month, and <laughs> so I sold that one, and then I use that money to buy two properties and so on and so forth. And I really had no mentors or anything at the time. Sounds stupid, not something I would recommend. Um, so there's, like I said, there's definitely an element of luck, but there was also an element of hard work met opportunity because I had put in the time into learning the market and was able to recognize this property was an opportunity. So nice. 
And I'll be honest, it was a lot more fun making money <laughs> after that deal than the uh, the one at school. I still look back. I'm like, what were you thinking? <laughs> Lucky I graduated. Speaking of ROI, <laughs> putting them. It's probably why you to, failed board, yeah. Justin. No, you can't do a class two, but Thank I can you. frame this wall really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I wish there was some wallpaper on this tooth. I would get it off in no time. <laughs> but thanks for humbling me once again. So anyways, that's where we're going to stop for today. But don't you worry your pretty little head. We still have a lot more to cover over the next couple of weeks. There's just a lot of cover on this topic, and we don't want to rush it. Next week, we're going to start off by going through exactly what our portfolios look like right now, and then move on to other topics, which are going to include how do we manage debt, leverage, equity, how do you get started in building your real estate empire, what do we look for in deals, why we may invest in single families in one area and multis in another, how all real estate is local, and what to do if your area doesn't provide good returns, which I know a lot of people deal with. We're going to discuss crowdfunding and sites like websites like Arbor Crowd, Real Street, Realty Mogul, stuff like that. So there's going to be more. So just be sure to tune in as we continue on and work our way yeah. through it. And Again, if you have certain topics or questions about this, we kind of want to make this a little mini series. And so feel free to post them on our TLP podcast Facebook page. Don't be scared. Be bold. If you have a question, I'm sure others probably have the same one as well. And then if you want to, obviously hit us up individually. Derek, Steve, and Justin at thelifestylepractice.com. Until next week. Peace. Listen to my fate, you're destined to be great.